Full Service Radio is proudly supported and hosted by Simplecast, the easiest way for a podcast creator to publish and distribute audio on the internet. For more information, visit Simplecast.com. Full Service Radio. everybody, it's Nikki Nellis, Industry Night with Foodie and the Beast, although I think I'm going to have to rename my show because um, my husband, David Nellis, who is also the Beast, um, never comes here. So it's it's Industry Night at the Line Hotel with me, Nikki Nellis. Uh, you may know me from my other show, Foodie and the Beast, which has been on for 11 years now on 1500 AM. It is a food and wine variety show that features everybody, not just from the D.C. area, but also nationally and internationally, food, wine, spirits, and restaurants. And of course, we do a little food politics, because we're here in D.C., uh, but like to touch on travel and a little spa stuff, and uh, sometimes fashion too, because my passions are far and wide. But here at the Gorgeous Line Hotel on Industry Night, we like to take a deeper dive into what is happening in the industry, whether it be a little bit of fashion, a little bit of food, a little bit of wine, which we got in studio today, um, or art as well. So I'm, I'm really fortunate that I'm given a platform to sort of talk about all the things that are important and of interest to me. And uh, it's good to know that it's of interest to you too. So thank you for joining us today. So let me tell you about today's guests. So at the beginning of every show, I like to bring in what I call a DC notable. So today my DC notable is Lonnie Furbank. So Lonnie Furbank is a freelance writer around town. She writes for a whole host of publications, but she has some real issues that are very important to her. So in a little bit, we're going to talk to her about what those issues are. And also in studio with me is Josh Karen. Now, Josh and I were introduced by Mitch Berliner, who is the founder and executor of Central Farm Markets, one of the big farmer market groups in the D.C. metro area. And um, it was really a terrific introduction because I learned all about uh, Josh and what he does. Now, he has a very fancy schmancy title as uh, Director of Hospitality for the Montgomery County Revenue Authority. That sounds super sexy. <laughs> Don't all go running to turn up your radio. Having said that, or your computer, or wherever you're listening to this, having said that, he has a long, long history in the food industry, and he is really working hard with farmers and um, those in the industry to reduce food waste and to find ways to repurpose food, especially with the farmers. So I'm, I'm going to let him explain all that to you in just a bit. But I'd like to start with Lonnie first. Actually, that's not true. What I'd like to start with is a little clinking here. Thank you, Josh, for bringing in this beautiful uh, white burgundy, which happens to be like one of my favorites. <laughs> well, great. Um, so we're starting with a little wine, which is how I'd like to start I like to start my mornings, start my afternoons, or any day, really. Um, but Lonnie, thank you so much for popping in today. So Lonnie just wrote a fabulous article in Eater um, about food waste, especially in the D.C. market. And there are some amazing restaurants and chefs who are really behind this movement. But let's start with you a little bit. How did you get into the food writing world? 
So I came into food writing really by accident. I've always been a super avid eater. Um, I, I love to cook. Um, it's been a big part of my family. I think food brings people together, but I've never been to culinary school or anything like that. Um, I was working in TV. I was producing a lifestyle talk show, and I always loved talking to the chefs who came on the show, and I was curious about their restaurants, and so I started to get to know the industry more. Um, and then when I decided to move to my next opportunity, I wanted to try freelancing for a little bit. Which is no easy hill to climb. Freelance is a tough way to make a living. It definitely is. And I kind of did it as an experiment. I was right out of college, just a couple years out of college. Um, I felt like... So I you were young and stupid. Exactly. Okay, go I didn't ahead. have a lot to lose, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I just took a jump. Um, I... The food community was so welcoming to me, though, because everyone here is, is so supportive. It's really um, when you like say a food family. community, do you mean the writers here in DC, like people in the food media and the chefs? Yeah, really both. Um, I've heard from a lot of writers that sometimes the media markets can be cutthroat in certain cities. You know, there's not DC, not DC at all. Mm-hmm. Everyone here was so welcoming, um, ready to give me a hand, a contact, an introduction, whatever I needed. So my career was just able to snowball thanks to so many people who helped me along the way. Um, and I just loved it. I loved being my own boss. I loved getting to try all these amazing restaurants and share the stories of the chefs who were working so hard to bring this food to their diners. Um, so it just, I fell in love with it. And then I thought maybe this will be a thing that I try until I figure out what I want to do next. And then I just and here thought, you are. this is what I want to do next, you know? <laughs> well, so do you find yourself writing specifically? Cause I think a lot of people don't recognize the, or appreciate the time and commitment it takes to put an article together. Not a, even a, listen, sometimes even a 50 word or 150 word blurb can take an inordinate amount of time because you need to research Mm -hmm. these items. You need to become a thumbnail expert on some things. It's one thing if you're writing about a restaurant opening, a lot of the details are provided to you. Mm -hmm. But if you're looking to give a specific point of view or write about something that nobody else is writing about, you have to dig. You really do. And that's my most and least favorite part of the process because I love to spend time just really getting every detail about a story, all the facts, all the you know details of color, learning about the chef. And then a lot of times, you know, I have to write a 500 word story and the whole the cutting room floor analogy, which really isn't relevant in our day and age, but it's like you leave so much in that transcription document and Mm -hmm. you don't get to say so much of what you've learned and the research, I just love it. So if I could write like 10 books on everything that I write about, that'd be the goal. But then again, that takes a lot of uh, dedication and planning. (laughs) Probably don't have the focus to write. And pitching. (laughs) Yes. Right? Because not sometimes, I'm sure when you're interviewing somebody for one story, you're like, oh, maybe I can do something with this. Right? And then you can pitch it in that capacity. Now, you you love to write about not just restaurants, so like you, you like to dig a little deeper with farmers yes. and food waste and things of that nature. What is it about that area that is of interest to you? Yeah, so I love, I always say that I like the intersection of food, farming, and the environment. Mm-hmm. So a story that ticks all those boxes is what I'm going to get most excited about. Um, and that passion kind of started when I went to college. Um, I went to James Madison University, and that was the first time I was really around farming. Mm-hmm. Harrisonburg is super rural. Sure. Farms everywhere. Um, I don't think people realize that. No. But it's true. Yeah. So, I mean, if you stay on campus, that's one thing. But I had a professor who had a farm. So he took us out to his farm. I was like... Uh, feeding baby cows with a bottle and it was like I just loved it I was hooked and I wanted to learn more about farming and I wanted to learn more about the issues that affect farming because so many people 
see farmers sometimes as the villain when it comes to environmental issues that like, oh, the farmer doesn't care where his cows are, you know. Well, because I I think there is an overriding message Mm -hmm. um, that is really about big ag, you know, big agriculture. Mm -hmm. And those farmers are businessmen. I mean, they're farmers, don't get me wrong, but there is, it's produce, 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 produce at a very cheap rate. And then there are farmers right who love their animals yeah. and are grateful for them right and to care for them and then for them to go on and then feed us yeah and they make their living off the land so it's not in their best interest to be you know degrading the soil or sure. ruining the environment so I really wanted to help people understand farmers um, mm-hmm. because I gained this new understanding of them when I ventured out of the city for the first time um, so that's why I really love to do that and here in D.C., we have such an amazing network of producers and farmers outside the city and even inside the city with urban farms like Uptop Acres, right. and, you know, urban gardening. Um, so I just think without farming, obviously, we wouldn't have food. And so it's so critical and people forget that, you know, you just go to the grocery store and you pick up your your groceries for the week. And so mm-hmm. the farmer's market is a great step in that direction. You're in you're interacting with the people who made your food. But sometimes it's just you just want a pretty picture of the strawberries, right? Like, right. <laughs> you know, sometimes it just looks really good. Yeah. So so I like to go behind that pretty picture and to find out why those farmers are there, how they make their living, you know, what they need from you as a consumer. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's a two way street. You're buying their food, but also they need you to be advocating for them or choosing food that that is a little bit more expensive for certain reasons, right? Because the way that they're producing it costs a little more. They're paying their workers better. They're being more responsible to the environment. And so that, you know, 50 cents or a dollar on the pint of strawberries or the gallon of milk, like it's critical for them. And so it's important for us to realize like why it's important to spend that money. I mean, I don't disagree with anything you're saying. And I, but you know, I've, um, it becomes a little elitist. Do you know what I mean? I think that's the hardest yes. part of it. Because everybody should have access to fresh and beautiful produce and meats and et cetera. And and, and right now that is a huge disparity. And some of the organizations that you mentioned are, you know, working on finding ways to eradicate that or lessen that effort. But let's talk a little bit about food waste because you just wrote this fabulous, fabulous article in Eater, D.C. um, about what local restaurants are doing to have a zero waste kitchen when it comes to food. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if... I, it's it's not a huge buzz item yet. It's big in the... I feel like it's a little, you know, inside baseball with mm-hmm. you and I talking about it because right. I feel it's being discussed. You know, um, Equinox has been hosting these zero waste dinners and people are looking for ways mm-hmm. to lower their, their waste, but there's a lot of reasons for it. So what did you find out in this article that you wrote? Yeah, so when I started to look into just how much food is going to waste. And I mean, the Natural Resources Defense Council has been doing this major awareness campaign for a little while now. Mm -hmm. And so the number 40% of food is wasted is always thrown around. But when you really think about where it's wasted, it's at every stage in the supply chain. There's so many different opportunities that we have to I mean, I just think about my house, like, look, I compost, Uh but you know, I was away last week. I was traveling for work and I set up my husband and children with an array of food. Here is meals. Here is fruit. Here is this. And I come home and like some of it isn't touched and it's, it's criminal to, mm-hmm. it, 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 it hurts me Yes, to watch food go to waste. Yeah. That and I'm guilt. not, you know what I mean? Like I have real issues with it. Yeah. Um, so I love that there are restaurants that are taking the charge who are like, no, 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 we can eradicate this problem. Yeah. And so many of the chefs do have that really, um, 
you know, the ethical reasoning behind it. And they say, you know, it's these animals or these, this, this food has been produced for us. These animals have died for us. And now we're just going to waste them. Like it's disrespectful. It's unthinkable. Right. Mm -hmm. But then it's also just really bad business because. Because they're wasting money. They're They're throwing it down the train. And restaurant margins are so thin already. Razor thin. Right. So why would you be wasting that? Mm -hmm. Um, And so it just makes sense on so many levels. Um, And so the chefs are trying to find ways to encourage diners to eat the things that they wouldn't normally eat and they have to get really creative because if you think about it and someone says like oh I'm going to serve you this trash right you're not necessarily going to get excited about that but these chefs are doing such cool things um they're making like the salmon collar at St. Anselm for example right. that's like one of the most talked about dishes ever right I know cherry's out on it but yes <laughs> I hear what you're saying I know everybody's talking about it and it we had seen it we some people in the food industry I had seen it in a couple of places not in this city yes. prior to the St. Anselm thing. And I, the first time I had it, I was like, I see what you're doing here. I get it. But I'm like, I mean, it's not for me personally, but mm-hmm. I, I appreciate what's happening. Yes. And in fact, I'm going to read a quote um, from uh, Kyle uh, Bailey from the mm-hmm. Salt Line. It's, yeah. It ends your article. Okay. And I thought it was really perfect because... He says it starts at the restaurants Mm -hmm. and then it slowly trickles into the high end supermarkets and then the middle end supermarkets and finally into homes. And I, I I concur a hundred percent. It does start in the restaurants and when, and restaurants are educators, Mm -hmm. maybe they didn't want that when they got into it. I I do believe it's a, it's a different time now than, than the time of Jean-Louis or, or, you know, 50 years ago where, Cooks were chefs and cooks were chefs and cooks, period. Their role was not to educate the masses. Their role was to feed you. Right. And now they have stepped into a very different role. Um, and I think you're seeing a lot of people who take it very seriously and who are happy to educate their clientele. Exactly. I mean, it's the age of the celebrity chef and people are looking to these these icons for examples. And I also think a lot of the chefs I talk to, they have to walk a fine line between being preachy no one wants to sit there and listen to their server talk for 20 minutes about what they're about to eat. Right, and where the right? fish came. Right, yes. unless people ask. Exactly. But you can supply you can supply little pearls of wisdom mm-hmm. that um, that can educate people. I, I always say the Food Network, for better or for worse, when the Food Network started, it was for people like me, mm-hmm. you know, a, a rabid foodie. And now it's not so much for me. But really what the Food Network has been able to do is to make all food accessible to everybody and I think you now have an educated consumer in all markets whether they have tons of money or they don't have any money because they they see it on television and they see it in social media and people know the difference now so the the ability to educate people on food has changed exactly and you have a, a a more a more nuanced customer yeah which I think is great because so many people who are coming into these restaurants are asking questions and they're mm-hmm. excited. And so at Hank's cocktail bar, um, they actually put it on the menu. They say, this is the trash gimlet. Right. They lean into it. And I think with that kind of fun, kind of playful atmosphere, it works great because people are like, what the trash gimlet? Yeah, Tell I me that. more. Right. You know? exactly. I mean, it sounds a little millennial, but yeah, it does. no, no. I mean, <laughs> I'm not trying to be, you know, ageist, but, um, Okay, so tell me quickly what we can look forward, where we can look forward to seeing you or what's turning you on these days. Like, what are you looking to do? So these, like I said, these stories that are really at the intersection of food, farming, and the environment are my favorite. So anything that talks about sustainability, the zero waste movement, I think, is blowing up. It's already huge on the West Coast. 
DC is taking notice. Mm -hmm. So I think it's really going to be something that we hear more and more about outside of the food community um, and just in the mainstream, like Kyle said. Right. So I'm excited to keep covering that. Um, I'm writing for the Michelin Guides digital platform for Edible DC. They're announcing tomorrow something, right? That when the when the book comes out. Yes. Yes. I got so, a I got a little something something. There's about always that. big news from Michelin. I so know. right. That's excellent. <laughs> All right. Well, Lonnie, thank you for taking the time to come in today and. I will be seeing you tomorrow because we're both traveling up to New York for the James Beard Dinner. Yes. Featuring chefs from the Restaurant Association Metropolitan Washington Remy Awards. Yes. Well, so, thank you so much. It was a pleasure and I look forward to tomorrow. Absolutely. And you should cut into the cheese that Josh brought because somebody should be eating that very <laughs> soon. All right. Thank you, Lonnie. Josh, it's so nice to have you in. And I feel like what Lonnie is working on sort of dovetails beautifully with the work that you are tirelessly engaged in. So let's start a little bit with your background. Um, Because you've been, excuse me, you've been a part of the hospitality industry for quite some time. Correct. So a native Washingtonian and Mm -hmm. uh, have basically grown up in the food business, primarily the catering business. Uh, Most people in the region know me through uh, Geppetto Catering. And through that uh, business, um, I've gotten very engaged in food recovery, waste, and sustainability. Mm-hmm. It's a lot about who I am and who our company, uh, what our company is. But you started at Geppetto's when? Like, I was 18. I okay. dro- dropped out of college and started Geppetto Catering And what partner. was it about that business that appealed to you? Because that's not when you're, that's not when the sustainability, food waste, because that's all, it feels so recent to me that these are buzzwords that we hear mm-hmm. more and more and more, like, 10 years ago, everybody was like uh, farm to table and sustainable, but like there wasn't a lot of heft behind it. So what was the, how did you go from Geppetto's catering to being like, no, I want to, I want to change the conversation or the narrative? Well, I, I, I just hate waste. Um, uh-huh. I, I, I'm big on efficiency and, and I think that there are a lot of people that are hungry. And um, like my good friend Robert Egger, who founded the DC Central Kitchen. I mean, we know him. We 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 all know Robert. Right. You you just you. It pains you to see food being thrown away. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember when Geppetto Catering started. We were in Wildwood Shopping Center. Sutton Gourmet was there. I remember them taking cases of produce and throwing it in a dumpster because it just didn't look pretty, and it just bothered me. My whole like, like makes my entire. Like my chest hurt. I'm going to interrupt you just to tell you this little sidebar story. When I started Foodie and the Beast, there was a movie called Dumpster Dive. And did you ever see this movie? I have not seen it. All right, you'll have to Google it. I assume it's somewhere out there. But it's a documentary. These two guys, they were movie producers. They decided to live a year by diving into the dumpsters of Trader Joe's and Whole Food restaurants. And they spent no money on food for a year because if there was an egg broken in a, a dozen eggs they would throw it, throw it away, it away. Mm-hmm. or if there was a, a if, if it was a six pack of sodas and one of the cans was bent i mean not that soda is something everybody should have but you know what i mean they and these guys survived with their families for an entire year dumpster diving i'm not and, surprised and they probably they, could have fed more people too well right but they also changed the conversation because their whole point was we want trader joe's and whole foods to change what they're doing and instead of throwing a salad that's supposed to expire today away 
send it to people who can eat it. That's correct. Right. So how did you? How did you? How were you able to make that happen for you? Did you start with DC Central Kitchen? I started with DC Central Kitchen, mm-hmm. working with Robert, volunteering in the kitchen, seeing the work that they were doing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, uh, my father was an outdoorsy person, and I got that bug. Um, as a kid, we used to go to farms, and my father would do organic farming in our backyard and, and buy local meats and milk. Uh, so I'm just saying, like, I'm sitting with two people who, like, were turned on by farms when they were younger, and I, I really didn't grow up with them. <laughs> we'll get you out to our house. Right, I'm catching up. I am catching up. I like them now, but I... It was not. I was not exposed at an early age. Well, it was. It, it, it's. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. And so, so being in the food business, being uh, involved in the DC Central Kitchen and uh, food recovery, uh, what I realized is is that there is a lot of food that um, is being disposed of um, in various ways. Um, the Sutton Gourmet, where it's going into a dumpster. There is uh, the farmer who has to decide: should I pick this or should I let it? Uh, spoil on the vine and, and till it into the ground for compost mm-hmm. uh, because they don't have the refrigeration to um, to store it. Uh, so, which seems like a ridiculous problem. Correct, it's a big problem. They, I mean, they. they I mean, ha- I get it, but you understand what I'm saying. Yes. Like, the, the, the the waste. The, the barrier, the real barrier that they have is that as as producers of food, they don't necessarily have the refrigeration to hold it. They have to decide whether or not they want to spend the money on the labor if they do have refrigeration and uh, then gamble whether or not they'll sell it. Sure. So, so through uh, my varying businesses, I started to work um, in farmer's markets doing concessions with barbecue. Uh, just another, you know, entity that so I So that's through Geppetto Catering? Well, it, it, I started uh, doing barbecue competitions. A friend encouraged me to do um, farmer's markets. Is there anything markets. you don't do? No. I mean, seriously. <laughs> I love food. Mm-hmm. I love food. So, so in going to the farmer's markets, um, mm-hmm. what I saw is, is that the producers would bring their product, and then they would load it back onto a truck. And so what we started to do is we started to buy their product at the farmer's markets. And uh, we would bring it back to Geppetto, and we would incorporate it into our production. Now, some of those products might get used right away. Other products might get turned into an auxiliary product that we could either freeze, uh, bottle, can. So, for example, what I brought you um, all the way at the You end brought of the, me a lot. I brought you a lot. I so, know. So, all the way at the end of the table, there's a bowl of peaches. And what I did is I purposely brought you a whole peach. Mm-hmm. So, I just tweeted and um, there is a picture of Steve Blades from Blades Orchard. He brought 50-plus bushels of peaches to us last week. Okay. If you pick up that whole peach and look at it, it's there's nothing soft. wrong with it. Right, but it's okay. super soft. It's super soft. And it's ugly. It's ugly. It's ugly fruit. I so, hear you. So what I did is our team is cutting it into quarters, and we're popping it in the freezer. Sure. And so we are using fresh peaches in our in our menus today, but mm-hmm. again, it's going to be hard to go through 50 bushels. So the excess, we will go ahead and freeze, and we'll be doing fresh peach cobbler that are delicious. Sure. And uh, so every year, we've been doing working with Steve for years. We call it our annual Peachapalooza. Mm-hmm. Um, then uh, over uh, to the other side of the table, there's a bowl of marinara sauce. So these tomatoes came from one acre farm in Upper Montgomery County and the farm at our house in Montgomery County. Mm-hmm. So we took their tomatoes um, that were that were pr- not very pretty and starting to spoil. They didn't have the refrigeration, and we made marinara sauce. And what we were able to do for them is we, they had so many tomatoes that we went ahead and gave. 50% to Geppetto. Okay. And then the other 50%. And Geppetto does 
Italian food. That's correct. So, well, well, we we have a very broad menu. I know you do, but like. Correct. You do, you we, do we, have an Italian. It's a mother sauce. We can use right. it in so many different things. Sure. And so the excess, so 50% of the tomatoes, we then put in one pound containers, mm-hmm. brought it back to those two farms, and they're including it in their CSAs and they're selling it at the farmer's markets. Their barrier is they don't have the commercial kitchen. Right. Okay. Um, next to the peaches are cabbage. So in my role with the Montgomery County Revenue Authority, we started a barbecue place called Sligo Pit Barbecue, mm-hmm. which is in... Um, in uh, Silver Spring at the Sligo Creek Golf Course. So we're using that cabbage in our coleslaw. Mm -hmm. And so we took 50% of the cabbage, used it in the restaurant. The other 50%, we turned it into kimchi. Which is delicious. And sent that back. Um, You have pickles. Mm -hmm. Uh, We obviously took their cucumbers. We took their peppers and made pepperoncinis. So the items that you see in front of you, Nikki, the salsa, the pickles, the pepperoncinis, the kimchi, those are all products that were produced at the Montgomery County Revenue Authority. Uh, We have a kitchen. So wait, I feel like we've jumped ahead. We have. So, okay. Um, You know what? Why don't we do this? Let's take a break now. And then when we come back, let's talk about how you changed your life yes because it was a huge career change yes um and i want to talk about what you did and then how these products came to life sounds great this is nikki nellis it's industry night at the line hotel we'll be back in just a sec tracks you're listening to during the break are by artist keto that's k-i-e-d-o and for more information find us at fullserviceradio.org everybody it's nikki nellis industry night with foodie and the beast and we are having such an interesting conversation today early in the show we were talking with lonnie furbank who just did a fantastic article for eater on food waste and how chefs and restaurants in this city are handling that problem and right now i'm talking with um josh karen who uh is a jack of all trades. He participates in a lot of things, but he has been part of the hospitality industry for a very long time. And currently he is the director of hospitality for the Montgomery County Revenue Authority. So I know we're jumping because one of the things I do want to talk about is your compostable products, but why don't we hit that at the end? Let's talk about how you wound up going, I mean, from Geppetto's and the catering and repurposing food there to the Montgomery County Revenue Authority, which doesn't sound like it has anything to do with food. Yes. So um, the many hats that I've had in the, in the D.C. area in hospitality is obviously Geppetto Catering, uh, my sustainability business, which we'll talk about later, Earth Friendly Hospitality, a consulting business, and I mentioned the barbecue concessions. 
Uh, through my consulting. You uh, make me sound like I'm lazy. I just want to say, <laughs> like, I always feel like I do so much. And then I talk to Josh and I'm like, oh my God, when do you, that's why you get up so early. That is why I'm up every day okay. early. Right. So, so basically through um, my consulting, um, the Montgomery County Countryside Alliance introduced me to Keith Miller, who's the CEO of the Revenue Authority. And mm-hmm. the reason we were introduced is they are in the midst of a redevelopment project at the Poolsville Golf Course. And uh, basically, uh, they are, we are planting uh, grapes. Uh, we are building a custom crush facility, a conference center, a pub. And uh, this is in the Ag Reserve uh, in a beautiful area of Montgomery County. And before people roll their eyes about planting grapes in Maryland, I just want to say, oh, God, it just fell out of my head. What is the name of that Wind farm? Windridge. Huh? No, I wasn't thinking of Windridge. Uh there is another, also in Poolsville. We actually had them on the show. Rocklands? Rocklands. Yes, Rocklands. I'm obsessed with that farm. Yes. I love it out there. We go out there all the time. It's a beautiful farm. Beautiful. And the Ag Reserve has so much to offer. Mm-hmm. And the Poolsville golf, uh, golf Course is perfectly situated in this Ag Reserve. And so in partnership with the Montgomery County Public Schools, um, Universities of Shady Road, Hood, um, uh, Universities of Maryland, uh, School of Agriculture, we are cre- uh, they are creating a viticulture program. Okay. And uh, it will be a working classroom uh, at the Poolsville Golf Course. Uh, there'll be workforce development, um, and then obviously working with the local farmers to produce products. And what we're really trying to do is is elevate the prominence of the farms and the wine industry in, in the state of Maryland, and in particular in Montgomery County. So, Which sounds like an awesome task, because I think when most people think of Montgomery County as a sort of bedroom community of Washington, D.C., there's sort of this, it, it's sort of like, oh, Bethesda, Chevy Chase, Kensington, Rockville, Potomac, but there's no real thought to the fact that there's all this magnificent farm country. Beautiful farmland, um, you know, beautiful, you got Sugarloaf Mountain, mm-hmm. you have lots of great working farms, activities to do. Um, from Bethesda, you're 20 minutes away. Right. It's it's unbelievable. So mm-hmm. it's, so I encourage all to, to get out uh, to the Ag Reserve. Uh, but through. But so if you wanted to go to the Ag Reserve, mm-hmm. what does that mean? What that means is is that I would reach out to the Montgomery County Countryside Alliance. They can provide the mapping of what the. Uh, boundaries of the Ag Reserve are. And there's okay. lots of wonderful producing farms. Uh, you know, you've got cheesemakers, you've got breweries, you've got wineries, you've got artisans. Is this cheese from your cheesemakers? It is not. I got, oh. I got, I got lazy. I got to be honest. I okay, got lazy. Okay. So it was, uh, it was easy just to pull something off the shelf. Um, but there's some great um, artisanal cheesemakers out there. Mm-hmm. So, so it's really get out to the country, you know, let your kids run around, climb a mountain, um, have some great food, have some great uh, spirits, and just have a great day. Mm-hmm. And it's so, so close. Right. And and so one of the challenges with 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 the farms is going back to what we said earlier. You know the you know the products you see here. Uh, we've got one acre. We've got um, um, who else do we have out here? One acre and the farm at our house. Right. Those are two farms in the ag reserve. The, t- the marinara sauce, the kimchi, the pickles, the pepperoncini, the salsa, those are all byproducts that were produced in our kitchens at the golf courses. So let's talk about the, these partnerships that you're doing. Like, wh- How does it work and how does it benefit everybody? Because I think people will be like, yeah, I mean, I see what you're doing and there's all this great product, which is very exciting, but 
what's happening? So like the peaches is a great example. Mm-hmm. So you paid the farmer. We paid the farmer uh, for those peaches. And uh, the reason is that we're not able to turn it into a byproduct for him. Right. So every year we basically buy his peaches. We can process them in a kitchen. We can freeze them. We can use them now. They're delicious. Now, when you look next to the peaches, you have cabbage that mm-hmm. was turned into kimchi. Right. You have pepperoncinis, mm-hmm. uh, the peppers and the cucumbers that were turned into pickles, and then the salsa and the marinara. Right. So what we did at the Revenue Authority is that we went out and we picked up this product from the farms. Mm-hmm. So the first thing is, is it's distribution. So we've got... Well, and I have to be honest, just to interrupt you... Um, that's a huge problem for farmers. Um, over the years that we've had farmers on both shows, one of the biggest problems is a dis- it's distribution. Correct. They have the product. They don't have the manpower to get it out. Correct. So what we do is, is, is Montgomery County Revenue Authority through Sligo Pit Barbecue has started Sligo Pit Catering. Mm-hmm. So we have uh, a vehicle that will go out and pick up the product. We will then bring it back to our commercial kitchen. Mm-hmm. And we will take that product and 50% of it we will turn into product that we will use ourselves. The other 50% is turned into product that is then packaged and returned to the farmer. Okay. And so we pay them nothing, Mm -hmm. but what they get is a byproduct that is now um, uh, shelf stable. Sure. And then they can include it in their CSA. Mm -hmm. They can sell it at farmer's markets. Um, and it's giving them auxiliary revenue. So what is, uh, so for example, like I see the pickles and the kimchi, but what about like with meat producers? What are some of the the byproducts that you can create for these kind of farmers? So uh, Groff's Content Farm, which is in Frederick, Maryland, we've Mm -hmm. worked with them. And so uh, you go to the farmer's market and you buy these beautiful turkey legs or you buy these beautiful chicken breasts. Um, what happens to the necks, what happens to the feet, the, the, the parts that are not being used, or the bones when you buy boneless breast chicken. Right. So we will go ahead and... Bone t- broth! Exactly. <laughs> so we're basically making stock. And then we will go ahead and, and take the stock, 50% of it we will use. The other 50% we will then freeze. And again, they can include it in their CSAs or they can use it at the farmer's markets. Mm-hmm. So, so we go, we pick it up. We will then go ahead and process it, keep 50%. Everybody wins. Everybody wins. It sounds like everybody wins. So what's your long-term goal with this this part? Like, how would you like to see this grow? So, because it can't just be at the golf club, right? Correct. So, like, what's your how? How are you going to move forward with that? So, one of the things that um, I'm really trying to do is I'm trying to, um, as we build out this facility in Poolsville, which mm-hmm. is in the Ag Reserve, we're going to obviously be building, and it's also kitchens. becoming like this educational space, Correct. right? Which I think is really interesting. Correct. Workforce development with the different universities. Again, University of Maryland is creating a viticulture program specifically uh, because of this project. We're really excited about it. Mm-hmm. So. Although I will say we're drinking French wine, but whatever. Yes. <laughs> we're not being picky. We're not. We're not. Um, so, so my hope, our hope, is that what we can do is with expanded kitchen space, expanded refrigeration and freezer, freezer space, that we can take what we're doing now and blow it up and grow it. Mm-hmm. And that's really where we'd like to see this go. So when you, wanna, when you say that, 
where is that financial commitment coming from? Is that coming from the county? Does that mean you have to go outside? How do you blow it up and grow it? Because that takes financial commitment. So we're looking for partners. Okay. We're looking for partners who understand what we're doing. The the project that we're, that I mentioned earlier um, is 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 revenue authority financed. Um, in addition to that, we have some state money. We have some county money mm-hmm. uh, to help us with that project. So so this is something. Uh, I came to the Revenue Authority through the redevelopment of Poolsville. Um, in, in expressing my passion for food and all things hospitality, I shared with the Revenue Authority what I was doing, how I felt there was a real business model, and how I felt that we should consider incorporating this into that project. Mm-hmm. So that's what we're doing is we're trying to find a way to make this happen out there. Well, I, it, listen, on the surface... It makes so much sense. My question is, is that it feels like to me, your partnership with farmers markets and things of that nature, that you're going to get lots of people who are like, hey, I got tomatoes, or hey, I got ugly fruit, like, help me. So how do, how does, how does, how do those relationships work? So, you know, uh, going to a farmer's market, um, for me to go out and pick up one bushel of food probably is not the most cost-effective thing sure. to do. Now, when I'm hitting the ag reserve with a vehicle, and if I can hit three or four farms, because I'm already out there, mm-hmm. then it really doesn't matter whether I'm getting a bushel or 20 bushels. Sure. Okay? So now, when it comes to the farmer's markets, again, you have one vehicle go to a farmer's market, you can go ahead and get multiple farms. And are there people, are there farmers who are wary? Are they like, oh, I don't, I th- understand. I think, I don't I th- understand what's going on here. I, I think that you kind of get that in the beginning. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, you're telling me. Because I would feel like older farmers who have been doing the farmer market thing for a really long time may not be as up on it. Do you know what I mean? On what's happening. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I know that uh, not only Mitch at Central Farm Markets, but also Fresh Farm Markets have, they've all looked for ways to like get the get the product off the ground, yes. right? Instead of, you know, the peaches falling to the ground and the tomatoes falling to the ground, look for ways to glean. Yes. Gleaning projects are huge, uh, but but they're not funded. So that that seems to be part of the issue. Correct. And, and, and I, I think, you know, we, we talk about what this could turn into. Imagine going to this custom crush facility um, in the Ag Reserve. Mm-hmm. Imagine there being a small... I feel like role. I need a field trip. We, we I need a field need, trip. We can do a show out there. Okay. Oh, I'd love that. Um, the, the, imagine going into a pantry and seeing 15, 20, 30 products that were um, produced out of, out of the hard love work that the farmers in the Ag Reserve are, are producing. Mm-hmm. So, so again, um, when, I, when I think about the project... Uh, that we're working on, to me, it almost becomes the visitor center. This is the hub where you go when you start your tour in the Ag Reserve and you learn about the wine industry and you learn about the partnerships with education and, and you learn about the different things that are produced in this community. And then at that point, imagine a large map on the wall that kind of lists all of the different farms. Like little pins. Correct. And right. then, you know, hey, I had that kimchi. Well, you know what? You can get that cabbage over here. Mm-hmm. So sending people out, educating them on the hard work. Um, you know, you mentioned Mitch. Right. Go into a farmer's market. Well, he's such an... I, Mitch is a rare bird. Yes, he's he is. an incredible advocate, 
not just for his own markets, but for the and for uh, meat. Um, what's his sausage company? Uh, meat crafters. Meat crafters. I mean, he is such an advocate for the way he lives his life. Yes. Right. He only buys food from the farmers market. He's really intense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mm-hmm. think is the best word. Both him and Deb, they've been on the show before, but they're very intense about living their life this way. And they, they really advocate for the farmers and for their causes. And they want everybody to eat fresh, healthy produce and meats. They, they, they think it's the best way to live your life. I mean, they're not wrong, but it's not accessible to everybody, obviously. Correct, correct. And my hope is through what we're doing in food recovery that we can kind of help bridge that gap. Well, I actually think that does help bridge that gap. You know, if you're helping farmers with more product and ways to make more money, then they can sell. Not only do they make more money, they can either lower their prices, mm-hmm. or maybe since you give them back this product, they're able to sell that product at a, a lesser price for people who need it. Right. Correct. So Correct. hopefully there is some, you know, pay it forward going on it's as a defi- part of the process. It's definitely happening. You know, I was at uh, Central Farms Market yesterday mm-hmm. uh, in Bethesda. And I was walking Which is through an insane market. It's insane. It's, it's an insane market. And and I was walking around and I was talking to farmers about upcoming needs and, and, and products that I was looking for. Mm-hmm. And someone saw me talking to a farmer and they said, oh, my gosh, you guys did the marinara sauce. And I said, yeah. And I said, how did you know? They go, oh, we're part of the one um, one acre farm CSA. And, and so, you know, so when you when you see people coming up to you, I mean, and, and they, they loved it. I said, well, how did you like the pickles? They go, the pickles were great, but the pepperoncinis were insane. So just to hear their excitement and for them to understand mm-hmm. that, you know, uh, Michael Potras, who runs that CSA and farm, you know, basically if, if, you know, once his people pick up their shares, whatever's left's left. Right. You know, and, and, and you know, uh, we don't want him having to choose to till that into a ground to make compost when we can make these wonderful products here. No, that makes all the sense in the world. Well, actually, what you just said makes me think of a different question. So do you go to market with products in mind or is it what you get? Do you know what I mean? Like, are you mm-hmm. like, I need tomatoes because I need more marinara or I need more cabbage because I want to make more kimchi or does somebody give you a ton of corn and you're like, Got it. I know what I'm going to do with this. How do you make it work? It's like a grab bag. So, okay. so uh, yesterday when I went to the market, I was planning for some upcoming events that we have at the Revenue Authority. Okay. So I was talking to farmers about product that I would need in the next several weeks, and I was getting a sense of what the what the availability would be. Mm-hmm. Now, again, we're dealing with a, a product that's that's impacted by the weather, so what we might think we're getting could change. Sure. Okay. So you have to be very, very flexible, um, and. Um, so, so for me, it's, it's really fun seeing the grab bag of food. I mean, right now we're in peach season. We're in tomato palooza, you know, I mean, uh, earlier on. this it was is the peak. We're in the peak. Correct. The Co- absolute peak. That is correct. And, and, you know, a month ago it was the cabbage and it was the, it was the cucumbers. Mm-hmm. Um, ironically, I would love cabbage right now. We're, we're, I mean, again, we, we got that cabbage a month and a half ago and we still have some left in our refrigerator because we can hold it. Sure. And it's, and it's delicious. So we'll probably in the next week run out of, of cabbage and we'll need some more for the, uh, for the uh, slag a bit. Mm-hmm. Now, you guys do do events. We do. 
for the do. public. That is correct. So like that's actually how we met because you were doing this dinner. That's correct. As a fundraiser. That's Can correct. Can we just chat about that quickly? Yes. Will you yes. be doing more? Yes. Because that dinner sounded, we couldn't go. We were out of town. But it did sound pretty outrageous. It was insane. Mm-hmm. It was insane. So we, we um, did a farm to table dinner where everything was locally sourced. I mean, everything. Uh, and um, we had uh, 50 people attend. Uh, I think tomorrow I'll be reconciling the finances and be able to figure out how much we're giving to MANA. Mm-hmm. So uh, raised money for MANA. Uh, it was so well received that we envision probably doing two more. I just want to say for the record, wasn't it like 12 courses? It was over 12. Okay. It was, it you was... don't need to do that. I mean, I just, I, I mean, because I run Chefs for Equality, I'm uh-huh. just telling you, you overdid. No, it and I appreciate that you did that, but you're, you're raising money for two causes yes yes and what i also really want to point out is is that for that dinner all of the farmers were paid market price so no one was donating anything anything they were all paid okay we don't do that for chefs for equality but go ahead (laughs) so so um we're gonna probably look at doing another one in fall um Mm -hmm. hopefully um october um so uh we'll be working on and they're outstanding in the field dish right like you do them outside what we um we did it at the poolsville golf course because Mm -hmm. again it's in the ag reserve we tied it into the montgomery county ag tour so there are two pavilions outside that overlook the small uh sprawling uh fields with with crops and then obviously we had some renderings of what was coming uh we anticipate breaking ground next year out there amazing okay so one of the businesses that we did not get into but i feel like we should discuss because it does play very well with everything you're doing as far as food waste is the plates that you brought in today you are like one of the sole provider of these bamboo plates and forks and utensils that we see all over the city, and they are completely compostable. They are completely compostable. So how did you get into this? So um, many, many years ago, I was asked um, to cater an event that they wanted to be 100% sustainable. Now, I think we were... When you say many years ago, like how many years ago? Because I just don't feel like a lot of people were asking it that long ago. Probably 15 years ago. Wow. Okay, who was ahead of the curve? (laughs) We were. So so basically, uh, in in doing that event... um, we wanted to not use real glasses, real dishes because of the uh, transportation, the packaging with plastic, water. and then water and cleaning. Mm-hmm. So um, I scoured our lovely world and I found um, these products that are made out of China and it's basically a bamboo plate mm-hmm. and it is uh, a renewable resource and it is 100% compostable. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we used it for that event. It was a huge success, and then suddenly people started to call me uh, for for events like that, and they wanted this product. So I continued to source it from Asia, and as it was getting busier and busier doing these events, it became a bit of a pain. So Well, uh, not only that, it... while I appreciate the concept, it sort of defeats the purpose with the carbon footprint. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. So, so we reached out to a broadline distributor locally. We said, hey, listen, we're buying this product. It's, it's sustainable. It's compostable. Buying a lot of it. We're, we're, we're not in the, in the general restaurant supply world. We're, we're food people. Mm-hmm. Can you get it for me? Um, they looked at it. They 
uh, really did not feel that there was a value in doing so, and they said no. Huge mistake. Yes. So when they said no, I said business opportunity, ding, Mm -hmm. ding, ding, uh, and I started Earth Friendly Hospitality, and so we are now manufacturing these, and uh, that food, I'm sorry, that food uh, distributor, that broadline distributor is now a customer of mine and buying them from me. As it should. That's how that thing, that's how those things should go. Yes. Right? Yes. So we're we're now selling these nationally. Uh, We're we're, um, really excited about that, and I see that there's a real big opportunity to continue to grow this business. Explain exactly. I mean, is it just bamboo? It's bamboo. So basically, in Shanghai, uh, bamboo is a weed, and mm-hmm. it grows like. I mean, quite frankly, in Kensington, Maryland, it's a weed too. That is just correct. So you know. That is true. We have a lot of it, and so it grows on the mountains. Mm-hmm. And uh, what they did is they built a factory at the bottom of the mountain, and the bamboo is harvested about twelve inches from the ground, uh, and then donkeys pull it down to the factory. Uh, it is turned into a veneer, and then three sheets of veneer are pressed together in a mold, and that makes the plate. Huh. Um, and what's nice is they work their way around the mountain. They're not tilling anything, and by the time they get around, the first because ones... It, get, because, grows, as grows you right said, it's a, weed, it's a weed, and it literally grows like a weed. Bamboo is, is insane the way it grows. That's correct. And so one of the things that I'm really excited about... Maybe you should put that on your plant shelf, Mommy. <laughs> she has a plant shelf. So these these are great products. They're single-use. People um, people think that they're washable because it is a... a, um, a it's a, porous. It's porous. You don't sure. want any foodborne illness, so we... Uh, do not want it to be used multiple times. But if you take this and you put it in your compound, uh, compost, it will break down. The other thing that we're really excited about is, is the forks, the knives, and spoons. Um, we basically last year redesigned those. Those products are actually um, a byproduct of the bamboo tree or plant. Mm-hmm. That's actually the the branches. So we were actually contacted by the factory saying, listen, you know, we're, we've got all these, you know, branches, you know, is there, is there something we can do with them? So we said, let's make them into the cutlery. So again, making sure that this product is used in its entirety. So again, we're really excited about it. Um, and well, it's, I mean, given all the food events that happen in the DC market, I mean, and nationally, whether you talk about DC Central Kitchens, Capital Food Fight, mm-hmm. or Chefs for Equality, or you know any of the Share Our Strength events going on nationally, everybody is using the chefs prefer the plates. Yes. Um, nobody wants to use real silverware. Nobody wants to use real plates because then you've got the. I mean, having been to events, you know, if you're using real plateware, it just piles up on those trays, and then you've got these poor waiters who are like schlepping, you Correct. know, trays of food that needs to be cleaned and plates and plateware that needs to be cleaned. No, this alleviates all that. And as long as people have a compostable area, correct, which would be, I mean, I think for people who compost, I'm so aware of it that when I go to a place that doesn't offer composting as a part of growing, you know, recycling, mm-hmm. you have mm-hmm. recycling and then you have regular trash. And then I'm like, and compost, like yes. it's so easy, but people have to know what to do with it afterwards. Correct. And composting is, is very um, much a part of the DC hospitality scene. A lot of the, mm-hmm. the waste uh, uh, companies are doing, um, separation of cardboard bottles and cans and food scraps and food scraps uh, are obviously composted so these products here can be thrown in with that and uh, they actually help the compost process wait they help the compost process mm-hmm. how mm-hmm. so it just it give, it's 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 a matter that um, absorbs like an the enzyme mo- it, it absorbs the moisture of the food as it breaks down 
Interesting. So, so you know, that's why when people are composting their their food scraps, you're not just taking your food. You're throwing in leaves, you're throwing in branches, and you're mm-hmm. mixing it up because that helps the process of breaking down. Well, I think there are some people who are afraid of composting. They're afraid it's going to attract rats or bats or mice or flies. Mm-hmm. People, I, I think, I listen, my husband was originally not hot to do it. Um, I mean, we use Compost Cab, which is an mm-hmm. incredible organization. It does take the pain out of turning it and, you know, doing all of it. So we're doing it the lazy man's way, but we're composting. Mm-hmm. They pick up our compost, they take it. And we, you know, I would say our waste is down, you know, 50% mm-hmm. easy, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's egg cartons, coffee grounds, the whole thing, it all goes in there. Um, when you do your own composting, because I know you live on a farm, do you put in meat products, bones, I stuff don't. like that? I you just put, keep it all I'll vegetation? Put, put, I do vegetation. I'll throw in bones. Bones don't bother me so much. I don't put in meat. Um, we're basically taking our scraps. We're actually mixing it with manure because we have horse manure mm-hmm. um, and, and dirt. So we're it, it, it's it's gold. I mean, right. it's, it's, it's unbelievable how wonderful that soil is. That's great. Now, do you grow anything and sell anything or just for home? Um, just for home. At, uh, the, the, uh, we have two farms. I live on a farm in Upper Montgomery County. I feel like you're Reserve. just bragging now. Go no, ahead. No, no. That farm is, is a, we have horses. Mm-hmm. And so that's more of a, uh, a leisurely environment. Personal passion. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a farm in Frederick where we have partnered with a farm, Groff's Content. And uh, they are raising cattle and livestock on our on our property, um, which then goes ahead and prevents me from having to pay someone to uh, tow, I'm sorry, to uh, plow uh, the fields. Uh, and then I actually buy their product and use it in our business. Oh my God, that's amazing. Well, you are a, um, I'm taking a term from my husband because it's not a term I would come up with on my own, but you are truly a Renaissance man. Well, that's I mean, very generous. No, don't Thank you think? You. I mean, isn't that the correct definition of what a renaissance man is i would just say i'm a passionate knucklehead okay i think you're passionate (laughs) i would take knucklehead out of that well so josh tell people where they can find you and if they're interested in what montgomery county is doing with the poolsville ag or other ways to work with you whether it's through um the compostable plates how can people find you the best way to find me is through um, my email at uh, montgomery county revenue authority my email is jkarin, J-C-A-R-I-N, at mcggolf.com. That's super easy to remember. Super easy. If you also go to the Montgomery County Golf uh, MCG website, uh, there's an events tab. And mm-hmm. if you go to the contact us, we can it will come there. to me. Exactly. Excellent. All right, great. Josh, thank you so much for coming in. And Lonnie, thank you. I'm just going to bring you back for the very end. Tell people where they can find you on social media. So I'm all over social media at at Lonnie Furbank. It's spelled L-A-N-I. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also have a kind of a blog, but I mean, doesn't everyone have a blog? It's not really. It's no, more just I don't a place have a blog. to find my work. It's okay. a portfolio. It's lonniescupoftea.com. How cute. Excellent. Well, thank you both for coming in today. Josh, thank you for this delicious spread. And I want to thank you, the listener, for joining me today. So we had some really interesting conversation. Of course, you can tune in here on Full Service Radio. You can also download this on iTunes. You can always check out what's going on with me at thelistareyouonit.com. And follow me everywhere at Nikki Nellis, N-Y-C-C-I-N-E-L-L-I-S, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And lastly, I want to tell you about next week's show. So I don't know if you've been hearing about Peter Prime. He's a chef locally. He owns Kane, and they are doing absolutely delicious things. He's coming in studio, and we're going to talk about it. So thank you again for joining me on Industry Night at the Line Hotel. I'm Nikki Nellis. I'll see you next week. 
Thanks for listening to this program on Full Service Radio, broadcasting and recording from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. Full Service Radio programming can be accessed live and archived on fullserviceradio.org. Our talk programming is available on most podcast apps like iTunes and Stitcher, and our DJ sets are available on mixcloud.com slash fullserviceradio. Full Service Radio features over 30 weekly shows and over 50 local hosts covering every topic imaginable. If you want to be a guest or get involved, email us at info at fullserviceradio.org. Follow us on Twitter at FullServiceRDO, on Instagram and Facebook at Full Service Radio. Thanks for listening. Wow.